All right. Good day. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, it's really lovely to see you this morning and um, to be able to share as well for for a few moments. We're continuing our journey through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter four, uh, and we're going to read a few verses from there in a few moments' time. Uh, just as uh, we get thinking about what we're going to look at, I want to share with you something that my my brother-in-law said to me quite a long time ago probably 15 years, maybe more, uh, and I don't remember the context around this, I don't remember what had just happened, uh, but I remember the, remember the thing that he said, and he said, you learn far more about a man from his reactions than his actions, you learn far more about a man, I'm sure a woman as well, um, from his reactions than his actions. And what he was talking about was that sometimes the way that we react to something re- reveals something that's going on in our inner world. Our reactions reveal things that, that, that are going on. They reveal perhaps what we're afraid of or, or what delights us, what excites us or what we, we really believe about something can be seen in how we respond to it. And maybe you can even think over the, the last, maybe last week, Something small has happened, just something r- relatively small, but it's just fired something off, something, something big, something delightful, something that made you angry perhaps. Our responses reveal what's going on sometimes in our inner world. <clears throat> and we're going to look in Acts chapter 4 at the response of the early church when threats start to come against them. And so we're in Acts 4, we're going to read verse 23 in a moment or two's time. But let me just give us another, another example to, to kind of ease us into what we're going to look at. If you grew up in and around church culture, you're probably uh, very aware of the story of Elizabeth and Jim Elliot. I'll, I'll keep it condensed um, in case um, probably most of us might uh, be relatively familiar with it. But Elizabeth Elliot was, uh, was born in 1926. She was raised in America. And from an, a young age, she believed that, that God had a calling on her life to, to go into mission, to go and spread the good news about Jesus to people who've never heard it before. And she went to South America. She was in uh, Ecuador, where she married her husband, Jim, Jim Elliot. And uh, they were married in 1953. Jim Elliot is famous uh, for one of his uh, journal entries that would come to light later on where he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot (laughs) kick. It's an easy quote. (laughs) There is a reason you write things down. (laughs) Should we try that again? He is no fool. That's ironic. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that what he cannot lose. So they were married in in Ecuador, and shortly after their, their daughter, Valerie, was born. And they're trying to reach some of the indigenous people uh, there, uh, people who have had very little contact with the outside world. There's a a certain danger um, in what they're doing. And in early January 1957, as Jim Elliott and four of his missionary colleagues were trying to make contact, um, they were killed. They were speared by by a certain tribe. And their bodies were found later on uh, further down river. Can you imagine the, the, the pain and the horror, the grief for, that, uh, that Elizabeth Elliot must have been feeling? A, a, a little baby in arms and her dad has been killed. 
What is remarkable about her story is her response, her reaction. She stayed where she was there in South America and continued to reach out to the people she was trying to uh, trying to communicate with. And it would only be a matter of months later, with Valerie still on her back, that she'd walk through the jungle to, to, the, to the tribe that killed her husband, to live alongside them, to live with them, to, to love them, and to, to kind of connect with them and share with them. We, we learn a lot about people from their responses, from their reactions. Let's remind ourselves where we're up to in Acts chapter 4 before we dive in. We've been, uh, we've been following the story and we've seen in Acts 3 that Peter and John were on the way to the temple. And they met a lame man on the way. And, and God uh, in his grace and his power has, has healed this man. He was lame and now he isn't. And, and the crowds come and gather around to see what's going on. And lots of those people give their hearts and lives to Jesus. They begin to follow Jesus. But that same kind of commotion also makes trouble. And, uh, and they are arrested. Peter and John are arrested and they're taken and they spend the night in the cells. And then they're brought before the, the biggest court uh, in, in, uh, in the Jewish face at the time, the Sanhedrin. And they are asked to give an account of what happens. And they, and they, and they share it with the Sanhedrin and they're given these threats that they must stop what they're doing. And these are serious threats. A little bit later on in chapter 5, they'll be before the Sanhedrin again and they'll be publicly flogged. They'll be publicly beaten. And then in Acts chapter 7, Stephen's before the Sanhedrin and he's stunned. He's killed. He's murdered for his faith. So these are, this is not a trivial threat that hangs over their head. How will the church respond? Let's read. or I'll read for us. Acts chapter 4. Start reading at verse 23. And I'll stop at verse 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. That's a remarkable verse. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Okay, let's uh, let's seek to, to unpack that a little bit for a few moments. Just to begin with, let's try and just place ourselves in the, in, the, in the shoes of Peter and John here. Place ourselves in their sandals just to, just to kind of live in the text before we rush to apply it. I wonder what we would do. It, we've seen an incredible healing. We've seen people 
come to the Lord. We've seen hundreds give their lives to following Jesus. We've been arrested and in the cells. We've been on trial in front of the Sanhedrin. And the threats have been made against us, very serious threats. I wonder what we'd do as we came out of, of, of that courtroom setting. I suspect we'd look in the, into the faces of our friends and think there's a lot on the line here. I think if we had children, we'd look into the faces of our children and think very carefully about what our next move would be, knowing that things are quite serious. So it's, it's, it's important just to, to live in that reality as we look and see how the church respond. Right. And they respond. I'm going to look at two things, and they're not equally weighted. So we'll look at one thing, and then we'll look at another thing for a slightly longer. And that's okay, because it's not equally weighted in the text. So the first thing the church do is they share together. Verse 23, they share together. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. I I love this. As As they leave with those threats hanging over them, having seen incredible things, but also paid a fairly high cost, they go and they share with their brothers and sisters, all that's going on. I wonder what they were sharing. Because the the church would know about the incredible healing and they would know that people had come to faith. In fact, some of the people they were sharing with perhaps only became followers of Jesus the day before. Imagine that. Imagine giving your life to, I'm going to follow Jesus. And moments after that, the person who's told you about Jesus is arrested and taken off to prison. You know right from the start that this is a wonderful free gift of grace. It's, it's life and life in all its fullness. And it also comes at a huge cost. And you know that from the very beginning. So some of the people there may have been those who've just given their lives to Jesus. And, 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 they, uh, and so they would, would be aware of that. I wonder what they were sharing about the trial. I wonder if they were sharing the threats that were made. I'm sure they did. I wonder if they shared that we've had the chance to, to share about Jesus with the most influential people in the land. We've got the chance to share with them that salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. I wonder if they shared that they took note, Sanhedrin, the most powerful, influential people in one sense in the land, took note that these men had been with Jesus. And so amazed and in danger, they share together the wonderful and the difficult, the normal and the unusual, and they share it together. I wonder, are we a a church... Or do we look, if you're visiting, do you belong to it where you can share together? Where you can share what's going on together. Share the victories. Share the challenges. Pray together as we're going to come on to looking at in a minute. Are we able to do this together? There's lots of ways we can do it. Maybe we're part of a connect group and we, we, just, and we share together. We, we pray together. We support each other. Maybe you're part of a team that's serving. Being part of a team is a great way to connect with other people. That's not because there's lots of work needs doing and I'm on the recruit for teams. Not at all. Loads of people work really hard week in, week out. That's beautiful. 
But it's a great way to, to connect with other people. It's much easier to connect as you do something together than if you sit around and watch each other, I find. <laughs> so so is, is there a team that you're a part of that as you serve together, you can just share, this is going on. Can we pray about this? Can we do life together? The, chur- the church pr- uh, shares together. And then secondly, the church prays together. Verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. That's wonderful, isn't it? It it really is so beautiful, so powerful, so absolutely appropriate that as we go through things in life, that we pray together, that we respond to what's happening by bringing it before our God. And Luke records this prayer that is prayed. It's seven verses long. And what's interesting is the first five verses are spent telling God about who he is. Not that he doesn't know. And then the second, the last two verses, they they ask for something. And so what we're going to do is just going to look at those first five verses and see as the church remind themselves about who God is, why that was so comforting, why that was so important, where their humility and boldness and courage and gentleness is coming from, it's, it's coming from their walk with, their understanding of the living God. So we're going to look, and there's, there's three things, shockingly, um, that we're going to notice about their prayer. And they're all about things that God has done. The first one is this, you made, verse 24. They remind themselves that God is the God of creation, that you made. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that's in them. What a remarkable prayer to pray when you've got a very serious threat hanging over you. When you're in a place of genuine uncertainty, that you can pray, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord, the the, the Greek there, it it gives the impression of, of unquestionable authority. Sovereign Lord, the one who is above all things, you made. You made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. The stars in the sky, everything that there is on planet earth, and everything that is in them, you have made them. When we're passing through times of uncertainty, when there's things that we don't know how it's going to play out, how wonderful to come before a God who with unquestionable authority, who made it all. You made. It's about the power, the creativity, the bigness of God. And, and for us, it's, it's a little reminder that how good it is to get out into creation. You know, whether that's a little walk in the garden, if we're fortunate enough to have a garden, or, or you know, looking out to the Lake District and the snow-covered hills, or, or whatever it might be that we can manage. How, how important it is to gain that perspective and to think, my God, sovereign Lord, made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This is the God who we come before in prayer. You made. Secondly, verse 25, you spoke. You spoke. <clears throat> the church here didn't, rec- didn't only see God as creator. But they go on to recognize that God has revealed himself to us, not just in what he's made, but through his word. God didn't just 
hasn't just made everything. He's also shown us who he is and what he's like and what this world is about. And, and they do so as they, as they say, you spoke through, through the word, through uh, the Bible, quoting Psalm 2. Let's read that verse. Verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then the quote from Psalm 2, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. God is not just the one who's made things. He's also the one who's active and at work and is showing us what he is like. And what I love here is that the church are recognized and in the light of this pressure or uncertainty that they face is that God is in control. And that his plan that has been set up years, hundreds of years before, is being worked out. They recognize that they, as, as David wrote all those years before, about the nations raging, the people plotting in vain and, and coming against the Lord and his anointed one, that that is finding fulfillment in what happened to Jesus. Verse 27, indeed, Herod, Pontius Pilate, met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. So they see that they're living in, the, in a world where God's plans have been worked out, where, where God has not just made things and left, but he's involved in what's going on. And he's shown himself to us in the Bible. It can be very useful and helpful for us to be out in creation. It's very useful, and I would even say important for us to be in the Bible. To, 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 to be seeking God in his word. And how we do that might look different for, for each of us, depending on how much time we've got in our lives and, and what season we're in. And, and, and some of us will be reading chapters a day, some will be reading verses, some will be listening to it. But let's be in his word. Let's be in his word. What's going to hold us in uncertainty? What's going to hold us when, when we're not sure how this is going to play out? It's by recognizing God is the one who made everything and the one who has spoken, the one who's revealed himself. And then thirdly, verse 28, not only that, he's the one who decided. Verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, what he's talking about there is, is how Jesus had been um, betrayed um, and, and beaten and crucified and killed. That's quite an amazing verse, isn't it? Because so far in Acts, we've seen that as Peter preaches, he has said very clearly, he has said, you crucified Jesus. Preached at Pentecost. And he says, you handed him over. Before the Sanhedrin, he says, you crucified him. And now he, the, the church is saying, all that happened because of what God had, God's power and will had decided beforehand would happen. So I think what's happening here is that they're recognizing that even the very worst that people could throw at God. That, that Remember, Jesus is God. He's stepped into the world to save us. And we threw that very worst at him. We betrayed him. The one who is goodness we called evil. The one who is life we killed. The one who is beauty we spat at. The, the one who is righteousness we, we created a false trial in order to condemn him 
uh, illegally today. The, the, the worst in one sense that we threw at God, God in his, in his sovereignty and his grace and his power turned that and said, and this is the way you'll be saved. And this is, and this is how you, the price for your sin will be paid. I'll pay for it. That if you respond in faith, go free. Now, with that understanding in your mind, the the very worst we've thrown at God, he's turned to say, and this can be for your good. That, That is the God who the church come before to pray. A God who made, a God who spoke, and a God who has decided. It's a remarkable prayer. And no wonder there's a security, a humility, a courage in the church as they recognize who God is and their relationship to him. Just as it's good for us to be out in creation, to recognize that God has made, just as it's good for us to be in God's word, to see what he's revealed. So it's good for us to remind ourselves of what God has done in our story, to look back and see what God has done. And it's another reason why we're together in fellowship, where they're together in in groups so that we can share with each other stories of God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's um, activity in our lives. So we're out in creation, we're in his word and we're together with his people is how we respond. Then as uh, verse 29 and 30 we see, they come to actually ask God for what they want. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness they say, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What I find interesting about the, the prayer request that they actually have now they've come to, to ask him for something is that they're praying <clears throat> for the very things that have got them into trouble up to now. So what they're praying for is to speak your word with great boldness. Well, just before now, they were in front of the Sanhedrin, the 71 elders. Remember, we looked at the sort of uh, intimidating setting that would have been, and they've spoken with great boldness. And they're asking that the Lord would stretch out his hand to heal and perform signs and wonders. Well, that's what the lame man <laughs> being healed was all about. That's what got them into this trouble in the first place. And, and what's, I think, intriguing here is they're asking that not that God would start to do something, but that he would continue to do something. That he'd continue to give them the boldness to speak. That he'd continue to, to do his work in and through them <coughs> in the name of Jesus. And we read that God answers their prayer. The place where they are is shaken. This tangible sign that God is hearing their prayer and, and active and at work. It won't be the last time we hear the place shaken, um, but that's... For the future, that's further down the line. And we read that each of them, that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because we've come across that a couple of times already, that they've been filled with the Spirit. This is actually the third time that we read Peter's been filled with the Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit at Pentecost as he stood up before the Sanhedrin. Early on in chapter 4, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so we get the sense that being filled with the Holy Spirit is a continual thing. It's something that happens continually. Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians, he says this, and I haven't written the whole verse down, but I know the important part. He says, do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, 
but be filled with the Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And the tense of the Greek there is present continuous. It's be being filled with the Spirit. It's a continuous thing. It's about us being uh, aware of our dependence upon God and living in that dependence and humility, asking him to again fill us with his spirit. Remember, we looked at his spirit being, that's who God is and he comes to live within us. And it's walking closely with him day by day. Lord, fill me afresh with you. Fill me afresh with your spirit. Let me be active and involved in what you're doing here on earth. We're coming into land. We're about to we're about to finish. There's just one th- other thing I want us to notice about the response of the, the early church. Where are they getting this security, humility, and uh, and, uh, and and levelness from as they as they respond to these threats? I, I want to suggest that part of it is about who they see themselves as being. It's about their identity. And to notice that, I just want to, to, us to notice the repetition of the word servant in the verses that we've read. If you've got your Bible open, just, 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 we can just scan through. Verse 24, as they begin to pray, they say, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. So they look back and they see that David was somebody who God used. He was God's agent in the world. He was filled with his spirit. You know, he beat Goliath, brilliant leader. Um, he was somebody who God used in his time. And then verse 27, as they're talking about the evil we, we've thrown at God and, and, and how that's played out, we read, um, all these things happened to, as they conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. And so they refer to Jesus as your holy servant. Well, Jesus is God. So, of course, he is God's agent. He is active. He's doing God's work in the time that he is on earth. And then as they come to pray in verse 29, we read, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak. And so they see them, they see themselves, yes, as, as God's children, yes, as loved by him, yes, as, as those who, is, who Jesus has died to save, but they also see themselves as God's servants, that, that they're the ones who God is active in and through in their time. They're, they're God's agents at this time. This is how God's building his kingdom at this time. And so they recognize that this is about who they are. Children of the living God, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, as we looked at last week. And servants, active, the ones who God is working through at this time. There's this sense of identity that they know who they are and they know who their God is. You can tell more about a man from his reactions than his actions. We learn a lot of the early church through their response here to the uncertainty and threats that are coming their way. I'm going to pray as uh, as we close. As I pray, the band will uh, head back up so that we can uh, close by singing. But as they do that, I just want to leave a moment or two uh, quiet just to, to reflect on some of the things we've been thinking about and looking at.
we're going to sing in a moment and then the the day will get busy again in, in lots of lovely ways as we head across to the centre and we share cake and drink together and, and we head into all that the day holds. But is there anything from this morning that we just want to to hold on to? Something about the character of God or something about our response or something about who we are or something that we might want to do is there somebody we want to or need perhaps to share with this week a letter we need to write or an email or, or something or something we just need to, sh- to share with appropriately with people who will be happy to pray with us Something about God's character we want to thank him for. Is there a willingness in our lives to be his servants? To be active in his work? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. A God who made this world, the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. Thank you that you made us. You've given us our temperament and personality and gifting and story. Father, thank you that you spoke, that you've given us your word, a revelation of your character and nature, something that tells us about the the, the beauty of life as well as the challenge. Thank you that you decided Thank you that you decided that, that we could be saved. Thank you, Jesus, that you decided to follow through with that plan on the cross. Thank you that you're risen and raised again to life and offer life and life in its fullness. And thank you, Lord, that we can be your agents, agents of righteousness, justice, peace, and life in the time and place in which you've put us. In Jesus' name.